Hello, this is Dane Orge. Welcome to Clubhouse Conversation. Every summer in Kansas City, 25 men have one simple mission, to win. Starting pitchers, corner power hitters, middle relievers, speedy gloves up the middle, closers, utility infielders, backup catchers, and they're each remembered here. From 1969 to last year, all Royals careers have been preserved with the most comprehensive collection of facts, memories, and stories in existence. Welcome to Clubhouse Conversation. And I am so glad you have found us right here on Clubhouse Conversation. This is the place where we catch up with all your favorite current and former Royals players once a week, year-round. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes to have all the episodes downloaded right into your iTunes without even doing anything. You can also find us on Facebook, Clubhouse Conversation, at Royals Clubhouse on Twitter, and of course here on the website, clubhouseconversation.com. And today we are joined by a true Royals World Series hero of yesteryear. There's lots of them when you think back to, obviously, people like George Brett and Brett Saberhagen. And fast forward to the 2015 World Series, you could go through the entire roster from this past season's Royals. But I'm talking about Game 6 when I talk about World Series heroes in particular. And Game 6 from 1985, when Dane Orge solidified his place in Royals history with the big base hit off of Todd Worrell to drive in a couple of runs, including Jim Sundberg, and move that series to 7. And the Royals, of course, win that one, as we know. And Dane Orge joins us today on Clubhouse Conversation. And a World Series hero not only in KC, but also back in 1982 for the Cardinals. He was on that team and hit 529 when they won the World Series. Also had a huge hit, uh, three of them, actually. Three extra base hits in Game 6 of the 82 World Series. Mr. Game 6, Dane Orge joins us on Clubhouse Conversation, talking about his entire career with, of course, a big emphasis on his times here in KC. And first of all, Dane, thanks for joining us. And second of all, how's everything going with you? Everything's really, really good, Dave. I've been a lot going on, a lot happening, but life's good. Thanks for asking. Yeah, 2015. Are you living out in Utah these days, then? Uh, Yeah, I live in Highland, Utah which is about, I don't know, 25 miles south of Salt Lake City. Oh, beautiful, beautiful country. My favorite my favorite place in the world is Capitol Reef National Park. Have you been there before? I haven't been to Capitol Reef. You know, wow. I've been down to some of the other – it's in southern Utah, right? Yeah, and there's Zion and Bryce and Canyonlands and all those good ones too. Yeah, yeah, i got to get down there. I just – wow, I've, I've, uh, I've been to a couple of uh, state parks down there, but never uh, Capitol Reef. Well, you have to do that one of these days. So, so, so tell us more about what's keeping you busy. I, I know you're doing stuff with Dane Orge's uh, Major League Health. And, and kind of update us, explain to us what you're doing these days. Well, you know, when I finished with baseball, I, uh, my body hurt me. I was uh, in pain, uh, especially after a, a couple of years. It just it seemed to get worse and worse. And I'd pick up a baseball bat. I could hardly swing without pain through my chest. And I gained weight and... I don't know. I just went through a, a difficult health time, and and so I started looking at natural supplements. And my buddy had a had a product, and it was a vitamin. I started taking it. And, gee, it was unbelievable what it did for me. Something that simple. And so I became more and more interested. And about uh, oh gosh, it's probably been 15 years ago. I got involved with a company called Synergy, and they are. A, uh, nutritional supplement company based in Pleasant Grove, Utah. Uh, it's owned by Nature Sunshine. They manufacture 
you know, in my opinion, the finest products in the world at their manufacturing facility, which is the best I've ever been in. Uh, they just opened up a research center, spent $4 million, hired some of the top scientists in the world to come in and put together formulations, uh, nutritional supplement formulations, and uh, they have what I believe is the best product in the world. It's called ProArginine Plus. It's a nitric oxide-producing product, and I believe that nitric oxide is really the fountain of youth. I've taken it now for uh, well, we've had in our in our product line for about six or seven years, and it's just been wonderful what it's done for me and so many others. It's based on Nobel Prize-winning science. It's uh, manufactured at our facility, and I've seen so many people improve with their cardiovascular health, health, and we've done many studies with it. And, in fact, it helps every system of the body because of the increased blood flow that it provides the body and, and some of the nutrition that's in the product. And then if you eat right, uh, you know, uh, uh, improve your diet, do some exercise, it's just amazing what this does for you. And I have a lot of other people who are real health addicts, and they use it, and they can't believe what it does for them. And so it's just been a really, really good thing for me, Dave, to get involved in this in this program with a company that I have total trust and belief in. And I've built a pretty significant business. It's provided well for my family and myself. And so it's just been an all-around good thing for me, Dave. So I'm... I'm, uh, I'm Life is good, like I said. Now, how can we, you know, find out more about that and purchase that? Do you have a website and all that? How can we get in touch with you that way? Yeah, if you go to if you go to Global Health Makeover, one word, globalhealthmakeover dot com, you can read all about it, and then you can always get on my Dane Orge, Dane Orge's Major League Health Products. That's also on Facebook, and just message me or whatever. And I can send you samples. I can send you information. I can do all kinds of things uh, so that you know you can make the decision for yourself if anybody would like to try the product. It's unbelievable, and it just gets better and better. And like I say, it's all based on scientific fact. We've done clinical studies. We've, uh, we've uh, proven so much about this product and what it does that it's, you know, nobody can disclaim what it does because it's absolutely true. And and so it's often called the miracle molecule by others because of what it does for the body and the overall health of the person. So it's just amazing what it does and how it works. And like I said, the thing that I really like about it, it's clinically proven. And that's what I like. You know, I know how it works, the mechanism of action, why it does what it does. And that's what really makes me feel good about it and why I try to tell as many people as possible about Pro Arginine Plus. Absolutely. Well, we'll send people your way and check it out. And uh, a couple more questions about 2015 before we go back, I guess, is your brother Garth, obviously, played nine seasons in the big leagues for Toronto, and you had another brother, Lee, who played in the minor leagues as well. You know, what are they up to and how are they doing these days? Hey, they're doing well, really well. Uh, My brother Garth, he was a coach for the Milwaukee Brewers for a couple years. They let him go. and now he works for Major League Baseball. In fact, as we speak, he's in Cape Town, South Africa, doing clinics for Major League Baseball. Oh. I just saw him, oh, maybe nine or ten days ago. He came to Utah to visit me, and we had a great time. My brother Lee also came. My brother Lee runs a Redwood manufacturing facility up in Northern California. 
He's been doing that. He's a general manager, been doing that for years and years and years. And, you know, they've both done really well, and I'm proud of them. They're my two best friends, and they're doing great. So, you know, we're all doing well. So it's, it's <laughs> been a real blessing to us. Well, yeah, obviously, the end of 2015, you're probably doing well, too, because our Royals, man, coming through, winning the World Series after getting there last year. How exciting was that for you? How much pride did you have watching that this year? Well, you know, I played for the Royals, so they're always, you know, one of my favorite teams. And what they did with the players that they have is just, you know, incredible. I mean, they're and they're built for the future. Who knows how far they can go? They have incredible players. They won the World Series. The pitching's off the charts. Defense, wow, they're shortstop. He's, you know, what a player. Gosh. And uh, so, you know, I was really happy to see the Royals win, as always, because it brings back fond memories, and I'm, I, you know, Always enjoyed my time in Kansas City. It was a great organization when I played there. Went through some tough times, some very difficult times, lean years, bad years, however you want to call them. And now they're back on top, and it's really good to see that a team in a a small market like Kansas City can become successful and win the World Series. I think that says a lot about baseball, and it says a lot about Kansas City, the ownership, the general manager, and all the people that they have in place that can judge baseball talent. It's really good to see. Absolutely. And we'll talk plenty more about your Royals days coming up here in a bit, but let's go back and talk about high school. So way back in the day, four years of baseball, basketball, football there in California. Is it Arcata is how you say that, right? Yes, Arcata, California. Yep. Yep. And then you eventually went to BYU, obviously, after the Royals drafted right. you out of high school. But before we talk about BYU and before we talk about the Royals drafting you the first time, uh, you know, what was your favorite sport growing up, and was baseball always a sport that you were best at? I was always the best at baseball. I played football and basketball in high school. Probably basketball was one of my favorite sports because we always had a good team, won the championship, and had a lot of good players, and I don't know, I just really enjoyed that. Had a lot more fans and people come, and it was always enjoyable. The whole town came out when you played a basketball game because Arcadia isn't very, very large, but the population really supports sports. And then, of course, I was always best in baseball, but it didn't draw very many people in high school. But I loved to play and, and had a great high school time, you know, playing sports. I did it because I liked it so much. I really enjoyed competing you know, the teammates and the friendships you build and the coaches that I had. And it was just a, you know, a great experience for me there at Arcata High School. So the Royals took you in the 16th round of the uh, 68 draft, but you obviously decided to go to BYU instead. Was that a tough choice to choose college over signing or, or a pretty easy choice? No, it was actually a fairly easy choice. I knew that I wasn't ready to go out in the world and try to play baseball and you know, I, I need to do a lot more growing up, Dave. And so, um, you know, I just, I wasn't ready for, for professional baseball. I need to go to college, get more mature, understand life better, a lot of different things. And, and so it was a very easy choice for me. So as a senior at BYU, you're All-American uh, in baseball. What are your favorite memories of, you know, of playing college ball there in Provo? Well, I had a great coach, Glenn Tuckett. He's, you know, he's like my second father to me. We had good teams there. It's actually my junior year. I signed after my junior year. I played uh, my freshman, sophomore, and junior year at BYU, the unsigned professional. The players, you know, my teammates. It always goes back to relationship building. Uh, you know, being coached by a great coach, a great man who taught young men how to become better men and grow up and do the things that they need to do and do it in the right 
was a significant, significant time for me at BYU uh, because of uh, the atmosphere that there that's there and the people that I was able to rub shoulders with and the coaches that I had. All the different things, Dave, it was, you know, it was such a, I had so much fun there. It was just, you know, uh, never had more fun in my life than my college years at BYU. Oh, that's great. That's how it should be. Uh, so the Phillies noticed the fun and the success and the man that you became, and, you know, they select you in the first round of the 1971 draft. So when you, when you think back to that, were they kind of the team that you thought would select you? And then what do you remember about draft day itself? I had no idea. You know, it's not like it is the day where they call you and kind of talk to you prior to. I think they do that. But, you know, I had no clue who would draft me, what my opportunity would be. But I was thrilled when the Phillies drafted me. And it was a, it was a uh, supplemental or secondary round, they called it. It was for college baseball players. I don't even know what number I was drafted. I just, you know, I'd done much. I'd done enough in, in uh, college baseball. I knew I couldn't go back and, and uh, do any better. And so it was time to take off and try my hand at professional baseball and you know the Phillies were a good organization they treated me well and I you know I, I started playing baseball for the Phillies and your first summer of pro ball was Walla Walla Washington kind of interesting in 71 you hit 367 you OPS over a thousand so obviously that you know town doesn't have the uh, professional team anymore but what do you remember about Walla Walla Washington and that first summer away from home remember most it took me a little while to sign and I went up to Walla Walla and, and uh, I remember I think it was a general manager somebody picked me up at the airport and they took me out of the locker room and kind of showed me my locker and then I said well where's my uniform and they said well you see that big cardboard box over there and I go yeah he said just pick one out of there <laughs> and they were wool uniforms happy uniforms and I was like the last player to arrive and so you know I weighed 180 pounds and I and I and I look in this box, and the smallest pair of pants they have is a 36 waist. <laughs> and so I had to use that uniform. That was the only thing that was left was a 36 waist, and I had like a 32 waist. And gosh, it was just, you know, I'm going, are you kidding me? <laughs> At least I had a uniform at BYU that fit me. I anticipated I'd get one when I started playing professional baseball. But I had to pick it out of a box, and if I was going to play, I had to use that uniform and that pair of pants. They were so huge on me. Gee. That's like high school, man, or junior high school, and you rush to get I your number. I know, it's crazy, <laughs> crazy. That's never, never seen anything like it. And then the next year, well, we can go on, but I'll never forget. I was assigned to Burlington, North Carolina, yeah. and I go in the locker room, and all there are is you know, are uh, benches around the the uh, the locker room against the wall. And the guy says, where do you want your locker? And I go, what do you mean? <laughs> you know, he goes, well, where would you like your locker? And I go, well, I don't care. Just, uh, just you know, wherever, I guess. And so he took a hammer and, and three nails. He pounded three nails into the wall. He says, there's your locker right there. <laughs> and that was in Burlington, North Carolina. So minor league baseball <laughs> is not uh, what, it, uh, you know, what it is today. I'm telling you, it was it was pretty rough sometimes. Yeah, I'm sure you had poor lighting and and some probably some bus stories oh, yeah. breaking down and right all that stuff. Oh gosh, the fields you played on, the lighting, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, Greg Pryor was on my team in Burlington, North Carolina. He and I were teammates. Oh, okay, that's great. Uh, yeah, 
So you mentioned Burlington. You were there. You were at uh, it's Reading, right? Not Reading, Reading, Pennsylvania. Right? Reading, Pennsylvania. Yeah. yeah, you were there. You were at Toledo. You're Oklahoma City. So you had 300 four of those years then, from '72 to '76, and then in '77 you made the opening day roster for the Phillies. Debuted April 9th when uh, Richie Hebner got injured. So the moment they first told you you were going to be a big leader, you made that you know you made that roster for the first time. What do you remember about that? Oh gosh, I was thrilled. It was a dream of a lifetime. I mean, really, since I was probably eight or nine years old, I always wanted to be a Major League Baseball player. My dad, you know, was a complete baseball fan, listened to the Giants play every day when we lived in Northern California, and uh, so it was his dream. I I took on the same dream, and and when you make it, it's a huge sigh of relief because there's so many times in the minor leagues where you'd never know. You know, you go through a slump, and you're, you're thinking to yourself, what am I doing here? You know, I can't hit, I can't do anything. Uh, you know, I can't even hit in A ball or double A or whatever. How am I ever going to hit in the big league? You never know what people are thinking, how they're judging you. I mean, it's just, you go through a lot of emotional stress in the minor leagues. You go over oh, 4, you can't sleep at night because you keep seeing those balls coming that you miss or, you know, it didn't hit well. And then you go 4 for 4 or 2 for 4 or 3 for 4, you're thrilled and so you can't sleep that night. I mean, it's a it's an emotional deal, and you just got to learn to control yourself. And and uh, it's it's uh, you know, like I say, you go through a lot of difficulty when you go through the minor leagues, and and to eventually make it to the big leagues, it's a uh, gosh, it's just really hard to explain. It's it's such a wonderful feeling. Well, your first hit came in your third big league game against the Cubs, April eleventh of seventy seven. I'm assuming you can name that pitcher. I can't remember him. I know he was a right-hander. He and I actually played semi-pro ball together in California for a while. What was his name? I don't even know. Bill Bonham. Yeah, Bill Bonham. Yeah, Bill (laughs) Bonham. Yeah. I love it. I should know that. I don't know why I don't know that. I've never been able to keep things straight like that in my life. I just, you know, I know I got the base hit. I just didn't care who it was off. Yeah, well, I knew it was against the Cubs. Probably because you're too busy answering questions about 82 and 85 to remember that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, (laughs) and it was so long ago, Dave. Come on. (laughs) Well, I mean, you'd spend a few weeks, speaking of a long time ago, a few weeks with Philly then before going back down to OKC where you hit 354. But I wanted to ask you about some of those great veterans and players you played with in Philly. I mean, you weren't there a real long time, but Mike Schmidt, Larry Boa, Booney, McCarver, Cott, McGraw, so many others. I mean, what are your favorite memories of playing with that group of guys for those few weeks? Well, just how good they were, you know, and how professional they were. And Gary Maddox was our center fielder. Mike Schmidt, the Hall of Fame baseball player at third base. Uh, Just really good guys. They were a lot of fun. They gave me a lot of support. They were always, you know, uh, cheering for me, telling me I was good enough to play there. Just a real positive atmosphere throughout that organization. And, And they were, you know, that was a good, good baseball team. And so... To be able to break in with people like that, you know, it was not only thrilling because, uh, you know, I kind of had to pinch myself, like they say sometimes, to realize that, you know, these were my teammates, people that I'd read about that have been very, very successful as professional baseball players, and now they're my teammates. It was, you know, it was a great, great experience. 
Well, it's June 15th, 1977. You get traded. It's a five-player deal to the Cardinals. So take us back to that moment. You, you, you get the news. You're going to St. Louis. Where were you at? Who told you that news and all that good stuff? Well, somebody from St. Louis called me or Philadelphia called me and told me that I'd been traded. And I thought, great, somebody wants me. <laughs> you know, I'd been there, and, and, and I believe it was Rick Bosetti, myself, and Tom Underwood for um, oh, that outfielder. Uh, gosh, what was his name? I can't remember. Anyway, he was a really, really good player, and so uh, the Phillies got him. I went to St. Louis. I was, you know, I was happy about it because uh, I liked the Phillies. They treated me well, but it's always uh, Bake McBride was his name. Oh, okay. But I, you know, I was ready to go someplace else and and see if I could, you know, get to the big leagues and stick. And and the Cardinals were going through a transformation period, kind of. And and hopefully things would be better there for me than in Philadelphia because Philadelphia was a veteran team with players that were established and and so the opportunities in an organization like Philadelphia were I think a lot more difficult than if you went to an organization like St. Louis. Yeah, well, so after a month, you're at AAA New Orleans for a little bit. You came up to St. Louis. You finished off 1977. How about this? Hitting 500 in the month of September. You had 313 there in your first big league season. I mean, how much fun was that hitting 500 for a month? Oh, gosh. It was, you know, it was great. I had a great AAA year that year at uh, uh, Springfield. I think that's where I was. And, uh, you know, I just saw the ball really well, had a lot of confidence, knew I could hit, and, uh, you know, finally had the opportunity to play, you know, most days that last that last month of the season and was able to perform and, and uh, you know, build my confidence and and uh, be able to, to have the thought process that, you know, I could play in the big leagues. I could be there. I could compete against these guys. And that's something that's really important for a player to, to finally realize and understand that you're good enough to compete on that level because, you know, those are the best baseball players in the world. To be able to establish, establish yourself professionally against that type of competition is, you know, that's so important that you have a positive attitude. So that's what that did for me is that I felt like, you know, I can compete with these guys. I can play. I can hit these pitchers. And so that was a great uh, experience that last month in St. Louis for me. And one guy you got to play with that year, and a couple more, uh, the legendary Lou Brock. What was that like? Oh, it was awesome. Lou's a good guy, one of the most fierce competitors I've ever had as a teammate. He was nice. He was kind. But, man, he played hard. He wanted to win. He had the correct attitude. And he's a tough, tough guy. I mean, I remember one time, I don't know who we were playing, but the score was like 8-2, to two, and we were ahead, and Lou Brock stole the base. And uh, that's kind of taboo in baseball because the game, most people think, is, is kind of over. We were going to win the game. And you're kind of rub, rubbing salt into the wound when you still, at that time, you know, it's the seventh or eighth inning. And I remember the reporter coming up and asking Lou Brock after the game, he said, you know, you stole base, stole the base. And I can't remember the exact score, but let's say it was eight to two, something like that. And he said, you know, the reporter said, you know, that's, you know, baseball's kind of has an unwritten rule that you don't do that. And Lou said, well, if they promise not to score any more runs, I will, I will quit running and we'll just win the game. <laughs> so that was his answer. And so I've always remembered that, you know, Lou, Lou played the game the way that he wanted to play it, regardless of what other people felt. 
and it was it was good to have teammates like him because you know he's always cheering for you, always talking to you. He's a kind, nice person. I have nothing but fond memories of Blue Brock. So 1978, then, that next year, you're up and down between St. Louis and Springfield. Now, you win the American Association batting title that year, 371. So, obviously, you'd rather be in the big leagues playing, but, you know, kind of special hitting 371, I'm assuming. You know, what was that like winning that title? Yeah, it was great. You know, I played in uh, a nice ballpark to hit in in Springfield, uh, Illinois, and, and uh, Illinois, I guess. And I, I had a great year. I remember that year. It was pretty interesting Dave because we didn't have a clubhouse where you could take a shower <laughs> what so, you know yeah you didn't have a clubhouse so you hardly took batting practice <laughs> and and so my wife would drop me off at the park like an hour early and I'd warm up you know get loosened up and you know I really we didn't hit they didn't have you know because because it's so hot in the summer in Springfield that you know you you know you didn't have a place to relax and 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 a clubhouse or anything and, and no showers. And so you just go play the game. And, and gosh, I should have learned from that because when I went to the plate, my first at bat, that's the first time I actually swung a, a bat at a baseball. And man, I, I really hit the ball. Well, saw it had, you know, I had a great year there. And, and then I noticed this year that some major league teams now, they don't take nearly as much batting mm-hmm. practice as they did previously. And as I look back on that year I had in Springfield where we didn't take batting practice unless you really wanted to, and I was hitting the ball so well, I didn't feel like I needed to take any batting practice. Things were going really, really well. And so, you know, and, and, and I ended up leading the American Association in hitting. Hmm. Maybe there's something. Maybe guys shouldn't get to the park six hours early. Maybe that's just too much, you know? I agree, Dave. I, I, you know, I totally agree. I've always thought that. Like, what really are you accomplishing just sitting there for three hours, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. So 1978, that's the last time then that you'd play in the minor leagues outside of three games in 83 at Louisville. But other than that, that was it. So you'd stay with St. Louis, the big league level, from 79 to 84. And I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about your times there. First of all, you hit over 300 in both 80 and 81, mostly as a pinch hitter and in the platoon role. I mean, how are you able throughout your career to stay so sharp? You know, I guess it's kind of a cliche question you ask pinch hitters, but how are you able to stay ready like that? Well, really, Dave, it was because of Whitey Herzog. He understood. And, you know, he and I had conversation. He'd come to me because he was like the fourth outfielder for the New York Yankees. And I can't remember. It was like Mickey Mantle, Roger Maris, and I don't know who the left fielder was. Or, but but he came to me, and he, he used to tell me, he said, Dane, I understand. He said, "You, if I'm going to expect you to perform as a pinch hitter, then I have to get you in the games on a weekly bases and be able to get four or five or how many at-bats during the week or, you know, generally you get four at-bats in a game. He says, I need to get you at-bats if I expect you to perform against, you know, uh, big league pitching as a pinch hitter. And so it's strictly because, because of Whitey Herzog. He understood that. He understood how you treat, you know, your extra men on a baseball on a baseball team. The only reason I didn't perform very well the prior two years because my managers didn't understand that. They thought you could just go up and hit these guys. And you can't do that. You gotta be able to you have to be able to get in games and get four at bats and get settled in and then and 
and then you you know you might be able, you, you go up against a, uh, one of the top flight uh, uh, relief pitchers in baseball. Then you have a chance. If you don't get any at bats during the during the week or throughout the season, I don't think there's very many pitch hitters that can be successful. But I attribute my success to Whitey Herzog understanding how a player in my position needed to be used to be successful at the major league level. And and every day, uh, you know, after a game, he'd, he'd say, hey, Orky, you're going to be playing tomorrow. And he would let me know in advance. And the other thing he always did is he was, you know, he stayed so closely to the game and he understood what was going on. And he'd look at the at the lineup and, and who we were up and who we were facing to score the game. And he'd always tell me in advance, hey, you know, Dana, if they get a, we get a guy on or something like that, we get two guys on and this guy comes up or the pitcher hits or whatever, you're going to be hitting, so get ready. And so it wasn't one of those things where you're sitting on the bench and, you know, finally the manager decides, man, maybe I better, you know, use a pinch hitter. You're sitting there, you have no idea that you're going to be used, and all of a sudden he calls you up and says, okay, go up and pinch hit for that guy. <laughs> That's almost impossible. Whitey always let you know in advance the situations where you would be hitting in, when you would be playing, because he communicated so well with the extra men. I really believe it. That's why I had that type of success. It's amazing. I hear so many great things about him from guys I talk to. Um, so yeah. 1982 World Series, you hit 529, 9 for 17, four doubles and a triple. And I don't know if the state of Missouri should call you Mr. October in Game 6s because Game 6 of 85 people know about, but people forget that Game 6 of 82, you became the first DH in big league history to have three extra base hits. I mean, do you remember that 82 World Series and that Game 6 pretty well, I'm sure? Oh, yeah. I remember it. You know, I don't know exactly who the pitchers are now, but where I hit the ball. But, you know, as a, you know, in my first World Series, you know, uh, I, every baseball player's dream is to play in a World Series and and be, being able to get into the game. I was at DH, I don't know how many games, three or four games, and be successful, be able to hit and get your base hits and help the team. You know, that's really pure baseball, Dave. You don't care about your stats. You don't care about anything. All you, Everything's about winning the game in those World Series games. Everything. Everything. You try to do anything that you possibly can to win the game. And so it's, it's truly a team situation. And that's what's so enjoyable about it. All the season's been done. The stats are in. Everything's been done. And now all you're trying to do is win the game. And so... You know, it was it was a thrill to be able to play in a World Series game, to be on the St. Louis Cardinals, and and be able to play for a man like Whitey Herzog, Herzog, and have the quality of teammates that I have. Well, I wanted to ask you, good segue there. I wanted to ask you about three of your teammates before we get to the Royals. Uh, you know, a guy that we lost way too young, obviously, tragically. You know, what was Daryl Porter like, and what was it like playing with him? Oh, Joe was one of my best friends. He was incredible. What a great man. What a nice person. Daryl and I were really, really close friends. Uh, you know, Daryl struggled a little bit with his hitting, and I know it bothered him, uh, you know, because uh, prior to that, he was such a good hitter. He is a good hitter, but, you know, he's always working, always trying to get better, find his swing, his stroke, and, uh, you know, a really, really good good catcher and one of the favorite players on uh, that everybody had on the Cardinals. Everybody liked Daryl Porter. Whitey called him Snibby. 
I don't know how he ever got that name, but he <laughs> called him Snibby. And, uh, but, but, you know, when I think about Daryl Porter, I think nothing but good things. What a nice person, great man, and a, and a true friend. He was one of my, one of my favorite players that I ever had for, as a teammate. Now this next guy, I, I try to get memories, to, you know, of everybody that played here. So he didn't play with him very long in St. Louis. But do you remember anything about Orlando Sanchez? No. Okay, I didn't think so. <laughs> I tried to try. Was, what did he play? He was a catcher. Was he a left-handed hitter? Yeah. Yeah, I remember a little bit about him, but you know. He didn't play long, I'll guarantee you that. No, <laughs> he didn't. I like finding those obscure guys. That's one of my favorite things. And then uh, well, the last guy before we talk about KC, you know, a guy you played with in KC, what was it like playing with a young Lonnie Smith who seemed to only play on World Series winners? Oh, Lonnie? Yeah, yeah. that was another one of my best friends. Yeah. Lonnie, it was really interesting. Uh, Lonnie and I were drafted, I believe, during the same draft with the Phillies. And so when he and I were teammates, in the minor leagues in the Philadelphia Philly system, and uh, and then I was uh, I was traded to uh, St. Louis, and then Lonnie was traded to St. Louis, and so we became teammates there. And then I was, uh, you know, sent to Kansas City, and then Lonnie came to Kansas City, <laughs> so we were teammates in Kansas City as well. And so. Lonnie and I, we had a really close relationship. In fact, when we played in Oklahoma City, he and I used to drive to the park together every single day. And one of the toughest guys I've ever seen. Gee, he was he was such a tough player and a talented player. Gosh, I remember he faced Nolan Ryan, you know, throwing 100 miles an hour. He'd be about two inches from the plate. I mean, <laughs> he was never intimidated, played hard, just a, you know, Again, Daryl Porter and Lonnie Smith were, you know, two of my closest teammates, some of my best friends. Yeah, he was a, he was a winner, that's for sure. So you play a month at the big league level in '84 with the Cardinals, and then May 10th, you can look at it as the Royals bought you or traded for you. I don't know the exact. It depends what you read. No, that. they bought me. Okay, bought you. They <laughs> bought me. Yeah, I think I don't know the whole situation. I just know I wasn't traded for a player, and I went to Kansas City. Okay, well, you you get over here, and uh, you immediately get in a role then. So you're platooning with Balboni at first for the first month or so that you were here. You get hits in 13 of your first 15 games. You had uh, two game-winning home runs in 1984. You had pinch hits in five straight at-bats, which was one short of the club record. I'm probably telling you random stuff you've never heard before. And <laughs> I haven't heard this. Yeah, okay. I'm serious. No. <laughs> this is what happens when your whole life is going through old Royals media guides. You find out all this stuff. And, yeah. uh, and I don't know any of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so there you go. And then uh, the big at-bat, it was game two of the ALCS. You were one of three guys in a row. Three consecutive pinch hitters to get a hit against Detroit in that series. I mean, I, I went over a lot of stuff there, but I guess in, in layman's terms, what do you remember about that first year in KC? Well, you know, I was, I was, uh, like I, I, the Kansas City Royals bought me. And, you know, it's kind of hard when you leave an organization with, that you've been with for so long, as I was with the St. Louis Cardinals, and then uh, go to the Kansas City Royals. You know, you know nothing about them. Although it is the Midwest, it's a different league, different people, different, all kind, different cities, all kinds of different things. But, but actually, I had gone to Whitey Herzog and, and asked him, you know, if possible, if he could send me to a, to a place where I could play more because I could see the writing on the wall. The St. Louis Cardinals had a lot of young outfielders, really, really good players. 
and and my role was diminishing, and so I wanted to go someplace where I could, you know, maybe have a little bit bigger role in an organization or a team. And so I went to Whitey, and I remember it was in Philadelphia, and I said, Whitey, you know, you know, I understand what's going on here, uh, and if you have the opportunity, I was just hoping that maybe you'd let me go someplace else to play. And, you know, Whitey was a good guy, really good guy. He said, yeah, Dane, I understand. He said, if that situation comes up, he says, I'll do it. And so they sent me to Kansas City, and I was able to play a, you know, a little bit better role there and really liked, of course, the organization because it was a winning organization, really good people, great organization. And uh, that year we, went and we ended up winning the Western Division of the, of the American League, and the Detroit Tigers, they were just, you know, they just steamrolled everybody. But uh, it was, you know, really, really fun to play for the Royals because they were such good players and we were a winning team. And, and that's really the the uh, type of success you know, that you like to have as a big league baseball player, that you're playing for an organization that has a chance to win. And, and you know, they were great players. And really, you know, again, some of the finest people that I met. Well, 85 the next year, obviously memorable for so many different reasons. But before we get to the ALCS and the World Series, I mean, when you think back to that regular season, I mean, what do you remember about the 85 regular season? Could you sense it was going to be a special year, or did you not even really know till October rolled around? Oh, no. We had such great pitching. You know, we had Quiz in the bullpen and, and uh, Joe Beckwith. A lot of people forget about Joe Beckwith. Mm-hmm. But now they're beginning to understand I believe what Dick Hauser knew uh, way, way, uh, way, way long ago, that you have to have, you, you know, it's just not about your closer, because you have to have people that can pitch the seventh and eighth inning and keep you in the game, or the sixth and seventh. I think Quiz went two innings many, many times. But anyway, and Joe Beckwith was so uh, valuable to our team because he had a, a really good arm and he, he always, you know, preserved the lead or kept us in games. And, and with the team that we had, with the caliber of players that we had, you know, it wasn't over until the ninth inning because we were such a good team. And we had great starting pitching. And any time you have great starting pitching, you're always going to be uh, in the hunt and have a chance to win each and every game that you play in. And, you know, we had six, at least six really, really good starters. And I knew we were good because if you have good pitching and you have good defense like we had and you have George Brett in the middle of your lineup, then you're tough to deal with. Yeah, and you guys were. I mean, you got down 3-1 to Toronto. You come back and win that one. You were 1-2, for two, Mr. October Dane Orridge with a double in that series. So, you know, what was it like playing against your brother in that ALCS and, uh, you know, memories of coming back in that series? Well, you know, I knew – I knew we were going to come back. Really? I don't know. You, sometimes you just have that feeling. Because well, our pitching was so good. I mean, we had such great starting pitching. You're in every game. We got down 3-1. to one. And I'll never forget that my brother, Garth, his wife, Patty, went out and bought a mink coat. All the, all the Toronto uh, players' wives, it seemed, went out and got these mink coats. And so after the game or something, I found out she said, Maybe she told me, she says, hey, Dan, I went and got a mink coat. And I go, hey, you know, Pat, be careful, man. I'm thinking to myself, gosh, this series is not over. I mean, when you have the caliber of pitching that we have, we're, we're there. We, can, we could knock off three in a row easy. 
And sure enough, we did that night. Uh, you know, I don't know if she's ever forgiven me <laughs> because she never got to wear that mink coat to a World Series game. <laughs> <laughs> That's classic. That's classic. And, and then you, so you guys come back in that one, and then getting back to you know three and one again, you get down. I wanted to talk about a few of those games in the World Series uh, first. And now game two is one that's not talked about a lot. You know, we'll talk a little bit about Dinkinger later, but game two, a lot of people forget that Buddy Biancolano was clearly safe at home. That would have given you guys an extra run and a longer inning when you guys lost that heartbreaking Charlie Liebrandt game. Do you remember that game and how much that one hurt? Yeah, yeah, I remember that game. Buddy was safe, you know, and who knows what could happen after that. Exactly. Of course, Charlie Liebrandt, he's a, you know, one, you know, he's an outstanding major league pitcher and take that loss tough. Yeah, that was I was rewatching the whole series this week, so uh and then uh game 6, you guys are down 1 to nothing in the ninth, and I'm sure you get asked about this about once a week, so you know, let's keep it going here. So uh, Dick literally used his entire bench pretty much in that 8th and ninth inning for the most part. Uh so you going back to what you'd mentioned about Whitey earlier, I found it interesting you said he'd give you advance notice and try to let you know. Were you so did Dick kind was he kind of the same way? Did you have a clue that you might hit there in that in that ninth inning? Well, I had a clue because uh, Dick told me. He said, I, I, I hit for Onyx Concepcion. And he told me, you know, get ready. If, we get, if he gets up, you're going to pinch hit. Dick, you know, he was another guy that communicated uh, well with the players. And, uh, you know, I knew I was going to hit. And, and you know, it was kind of surprising, though, when he yelled my name. I'm going, oh, gee, are you serious? <laughs> you know? It's the bottom of the ninth, and the you know the sixth game of the World Series. Gosh, I you know you you're almost petrified because <laughs> you know you know that if you know the the situation comes up and you don't perform, you know it's it's a tough deal to deal with. <laughs> yeah, and then the uh, bat against Todd Warrell. Then so second pitch looper into right field. What's your approach coming into that at bat? I, I read some quote basically that you said you weren't looking for any pitch just to put bat in the ball. Is that pretty much what it was? No, no, I knew. No, Todd Wells, a fastball pitcher. Todd was a good friend of mine in St. Louis as well. I, you know, really, really nice man. And and you know, I, I just knew that I, I had to hit a fastball. I hadn't been up for a, a while. I think I only had one other at bat prior to that at bat in the sixth game. But Todd throws hard, big, strong. You know, guy that had a blazing fastball. And so what I did is I just tried to shorten my swing, and I'm looking for a fastball. And the bases are loaded, and he throws me a slider first pitch for a ball. Now I know he's got to come with a fastball. Absolutely know that he has to come with a fastball. So I'm setting on a fastball, even though he's probably throwing 96, 97. You know, I I get a fastball, and I hit the ball perfect to score two runs. I mean, it broke my bat. It was a looping (laughs) little line drive into right field, and Jim Swenberg wouldn't have been able to score on anything but a ball like that from second base. And so it was a you know, it was the perfect hit in that situation. Yeah, what a slide by Sonny coming home there. Yeah. And I mean you the ball finds a home in right field and I see you kinda of pause at first and run to second and you're just elated. I mean, can you remember what that felt like? What did that feel like? I mean, it, do you still ever get excited when you see replays of that even now? Yeah, I go, is that me? Is that really me? I can't believe it. I did that. But I remember when I got to first base, I'm, you know, I kind of lose all sense of reality. I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should go to second or should I stop, you know, because, you, you, you know, you're. I was in such uh, concentration mode 
at the plate, you know, trying to get that hit, I knew I had to get first base. But I didn't know, you know, I kind of lost track of uh, reality, what I should do, how I should react, or every, you know, I, I threw my hands up because I got a base hit. But after that, I'm kind of, you know, in, in Never Never Land. I don't know what to do. <laughs> what What happened to that bat, by the way? Did you get to keep that broken bat? No, they came and got it. The Royals did, and I, I they told me it was going to go in the Hall of Fame in Kansas City. Oh, okay. or not. it's probably yeah, it probably is in there. I never, but I would imagine it's. There. I don't know. I never saw. I don't have the bat. It's either there or on eBay somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's broken. Yeah. <laughs> I well, spe- speaking of broken, you almost broke your nose. So Mike Jones kind of. I talked to him a couple weeks ago, so he kind of roughed you up a little bit in that uh, dog pile there, didn't he? Oh yeah, he caught me with a good left hand right in the nose. My blood, you know, blood's coming out of my nose. <laughs> you know, but it, but at that, you know, you don't feel anything because so much adrenaline, so much excitement, you know, just a thrill, and so whatever, you know. But I, he, yeah, he popped me right in the nose. <laughs> well, I'll ask you just one Dinkinger question because I feel bad for the poor guy, and he's made amends, and he's a great guy. But you know, people, the Cardinals try to blame him. But we mentioned the game two with Bianca Lana and uh, the Jack Clark miss pop up there in that same inning. The yeah, pa- the Jack p- Clark missed an easy pop up, absolutely, the, and the pass ball. So they walked Howell to get to you, right? Yeah, yeah, then the pass ball, and, you know, the, I mean, geez, there was a lot of screw-ups that inning, not just, you know, Deckinger. Yeah, we got to give him, my boy Deckinger, some love there, so it's not all his fault, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And you guys also happened to win a Game 7, which nobody wants to talk about. What do you remember about that Game 7? How fun was that? Oh, that was fun, but, you know, Joaquin lost his cool, yeah. you know, and, and uh, you know, they just weren't ready to play. He wasn't ready to pitch. You know, I guess it was a tough loss for him the day before, but you know you got to get ready, you got to be prepared. And, and Joaquin just came out there and just lost his composure. So, you know, they never challenged us. So it's a really easy and kind of an anticlimactic climactic, uh, seventh game. And you guys came back from three to one twice. I, everyone I talked to from this team swears to God they knew they were going to come back and win. But did you, honest to God, know both times you would come back and win? Did you really believe that, hundred percent? Well, I didn't know if we would, but I, I certainly knew we had a great chance with okay. the pitching that we had. I'm telling you, I don't understand these teams. I mean, look at the Royals. That bullpen they had last year. Nobody can hit those guys. Nobody in the world can hit those guys unless they get lucky. And then this year, almost the same thing. But we had great starting pitching, and we had quiz in the pen. And if you get ahead, you're not going to beat us. If we get ahead, you are not going to beat us. And anytime you have good pitching, you are in every game. And, you know, I knew, you know, you better score some runs or we're going to be there. So, you know, I just, yeah. I knew we weren't out of it, I'll tell you that. I didn't know if we would win or not. And then you win that first game, then you only have to win one more, and the series is tied up. So. <laughs> what's uh, what's the most random place you've ever been recognized as the guy from the Game 6? Have you ever been in an airport or a restaurant in some random city years later? Has anybody ever oh, walked God, up to you? I was in, yeah, I was in Dillon, Montana. What? I was out <laughs> playing in, a, you know, in this par 3 golf thing. I didn't even know why I was there. <laughs> and it's out nowhere. This guy made it himself and kept care of it. And he knew my whole career. I'm going, you got to be kidding me. 
<laughs> that's great. That's great. Now the the World Series parade. I think like some cars lit on fire or something from all that confetti. What, what was the World Series parade like? No oh, man, my guy got lost. He didn't know where he was going. The guy was supposed to take me. You know, we get there like a half hour late. People all over the mob scene. It looked like the same thing this year. I just saw a glimpse of yeah. glimpses of it on TV, but they said there were like three or four hundred thousand people there. Eight hundred thousand. Eight hundred. Well, you know, there's. I I I think they said like three or four hundred thousand when in in eighty five. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah we you're right. World yeah, you're right. Yeah, I think you meant that. Sure. Yeah, you're right about that. It was three four. It was pretty amazing. So, all right. So the next year, then you sign with the Padres. You'd finish off your big league career in '86. I mean, was it disappointing for you not coming back to KC after that amazing October? I mean, were there talks about you coming well, I back? I really want. I really would like to have come back, but I understood. You know, I was at the end of my career, and and KC was. You know, yeah, I liked it. I I wanted to sign with Kansas City. But they had no interest in signing me, and so the Padres made me a contract offer. And, and I took it because, you know, I wanted to, I, you know, I didn't know what else I was going to do. And so I wanted to play, you know, see if I can continue to play my baseball career. And so Padres gave me that opportunity. I think we were 180 games out in May, but, <laughs> so it was tough. Yeah, well, Just kidding. I mean, we weren't a very good team, but, you know, so it was tough. You know, they played for the Cardinals and played for the Royals and played on such amazingly good teams and then go to, San Diego, and you know we weren't we weren't very good. <laughs> so you, it's tough. You did it's get tough to, to make that change. Yeah, you, you did I'm get sorry. to play with Tony Gwynn, though. What, what was it like playing with a younger Tony Gwynn? Oh, Tony was a really good player. You know, uh, yeah, he's a good, really good player. But uh, you know, I, I felt like you know, to me, I mean, they they talk about those hitters like Tony Gwynn and Wade Boggs and Rod Carew and Pete Rose, and you know, you know. George Brett's the best hitter I'd ever seen. They can't even, in my opinion, they can't hold a candle to George Brett. Those guys were ping hitters. <laughs> they didn't hit any home runs. They were great hitters, and I don't want to take anything away from them. But, you know, you know, George is in a different class than those guys. No way. They're not even the same league, if you ask me. Yeah. You know, because George hit with power. And, you know, man, he's a third-place hitter. You know, drove in runs, hit home runs, doubles, everything. That's kind of always been something that kind of irritated me. They talk about those guys. Hey, in my opinion, George is, George is in a class by himself when you're comparing him to those guys. That is true. He does kind of get lost these days with talk. It's kind I of... can't believe it. Yeah. That guy was unbelievable. Tony was a great hitter, and I don't want to take anything away from Tony. But, you know, really, honestly, you know, you, you don't like to see them come up because they're pesky, but they don't change games the way home run hitters and power hitters do. Yeah, well, he definitely did. Now, you, you mentioned being so far out by May. I probably could have found that out without even looking at the standings because I see you pitched in two games that year. So you had two scoreless innings in game one of a doubleheader against the Expos for one of the two games. So first of all, how in the heck did you vol- did you just volunteer like on the fly, or did they know going in that you could pitch? No, I couldn't pitch. I threw a lot of batting practice. <laughs> That's one of the ways I stayed in shape and kept my arm in shape, and so... I threw a lot of batting practice, and so Steve Boros, who was our manager in San Diego, came to me after we're getting our brains beat in by the San Francisco Giants. We have no more pitching left, and we have, you know, a game. We've been on a long road trip or whatever, and he had to save his 
uh, our relief pitcher, and he says, hey, Dan, you think you can throw? And I go, yeah, I can throw, no <laughs> question. He says, can you throw strikes? And I go, absolutely I can throw strikes. You know, I've been, I threw a lot of batting practice in Kansas City, St. Louis, San Diego. I was a good BP pitcher. <laughs> so he says, well, go get loose. You're going in. So I went out in the bullpen. I was playing left field. And I got the bullpen, got loose, and went in. Yeah, I bet so. you you probably can't name this since you couldn't remember the first uh, the first pitcher you faced. But you struck out two major league hitters. Can you name either of them? Newman in in Montreal. Yeah, I can't remember. The guy was an infielder. I think he was a third baseman in San Francisco. <laughs> and the only reason I struck him out is because the umpire felt sorry for me, <laughs> and he called the pitch about eight inches inside for the third strike, and I felt sorry for that guy because that's one of my pet peeves. You know, when umpires just want to get the game over and you're up there trying to get a base hit, they're so hard to get anyway, and then you don't throw strikes, and they call him out. And I, I, I remember I, I, I told the umpires, that wasn't a strike, <laughs> you know, because I, I, I'm a hitter first, and when they make those bad calls, you know, it's irritating to you as a hitter. I felt sorry for the guy. It was a... it's just a young kid trying to make it in the big leagues. And how embarrassing. <laughs> have me strike him out. <laughs> it was Randy Kutcher was the guy's name. Randy Kutcher. I felt bad for him. I wanted to apologize to him. <laughs> him and Al Newman. I mean, really. that's, that's great. Well, last five or six questions. So following 86, then, you, you hang him up. Was that a, a pretty easy choice at that time or tough or both? No, it's easy. Yeah. Really, I, you know, you know, I, I uh, would start playing games, and you know, the adrenaline wouldn't start flowing, and I didn't get excited. And, uh, you know, really, time to leave. I did, I, you know, I did, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to play anymore after, uh, you know, I, I just couldn't get to the level of uh, mentally that I needed to get to to play, and I'd lost that. So I, you know, it's time to leave. Well, I wanted to ask you about uh, coming back to KC to close here. A few more questions. I wanted to ask you about a couple guys we lost uh, too young here as well. Uh, you know, Dick Hauser. Talk about him as a man, and also Quiz. Well, you know, Dick Hauser was a really good manager. I mean, he he communicated well with the players. A nice person. He wasn't as personable with the players as some of the other managers that I had. But, uh, you know, he's a very professional man, very organized, uh, a nice person. Everybody seemed to like him. I didn't know him really well, but everybody seemed to like him. And, uh, you know, he, he, he managed the team properly. And I think all the players had respect for him because he always put the best team out on the field every day that he thought had the best chance to win. And, 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 and that's all you can ask for. And, and Dick, you know, he won the Western Division my first year there, then won the World Series. Obviously, he is a good manager that knows how to run a baseball game. And everybody had respect for him. And then, uh, you know, uh, uh, Quiz, you know, one of my favorite all-time teammates. Such a nice person, such a competitor, you know, and an innovator with the way that he threw. And, and he understood that he had to he had to pitch that way to be successful. He wasn't afraid to experiment. Obviously, a very smart, intelligent man, uh, very kind, better, very considerate. You know, just a tragedy that that we've lost both of them because 
you know, they're quality, quality people. And, and when you have quality people of that stature, you just hate to lose them because they mean so much to uh, everybody that they come in contact with. And so it's a real tragedy. It's, you know, really a uh, heartfelt sense of loss when I heard about that. Now, your uh, favorite memories of Kansas City off the field then. So which area of town did you live in and kind of like hanging out in? Any any cool hot spots here that you liked? No, uh, I was married, had three kids, you know, uh, and so, you know, I don't. You know, that's not exciting. I never, you know, nothing exciting. I mean, I like the Midwest. People are kind. And, you know, I really like playing there. The fans were awesome. It, uh, throughout the Midwest, very supportive, very positive. Uh, the the uh, newspaper men were always kind and nice. The announcers, just really, really a good organization that, you know, that drew well. And the people were kind and considerate and nice and the Midwest, not, you know, it's hard to beat the Midwest, Dave. Yeah, I I concur on that. Well, last two. So there, here's a kind of a deep question. Game six of the 85 World Series, is that the biggest moment of your baseball career and your favorite moment of your baseball career? Yeah, yeah, because of the situation. You know, the impact of, the, of, of what was going on. World Series, you know, do or die, bases loaded, one out, coming through. That's something, uh, you know, one guy said, you weren't a very good baseball player, Dan. I said, hey, I said, I was good when I had to be. (laughs) (laughs) And I got that base hit. And nobody can take that away from me. I can just imagine what my life would be like if I hadn't been successful in that situation. (laughs) That would have been something that would, you know, probably haunt me for a long, long time. I could probably get over it, but it would always be haunting me. But to be successful and get a base hit in that situation, I don't think about it much because I don't have to, because (laughs) I came through in that situation. Whatever I was, fortunate, lucky, I don't care what it was. You know, I came through and we won the game. And so that's a real relief when you can be in that situation and be successful because, you know, without that, sometimes, you know, it can be kind of tough on you if you weren't successful. Yeah, well, you always were on the biggest stages. Mr. Missouri October, I'm going to start calling you. Well, you know, between 82 and 85. Well, very last question, you know, what would you like to say in closing and in summary to all the Royals fans listening right now? Well, I'd just like to say, you know, it was an honor to play for the Kansas City Royals, to live among you, to be a part of the community. You know, such kindness, such nice people, such compassionate and good people in a great place. I love playing in Kansas City, you know, love living there. Had a lot of good friends, great teammates. It's just one of the best places that you could ever think of as far as being a baseball player and playing in a city. Uh, you know, Kansas City is awesome. It was great. And so, you know, just, you know, so thankful that I was able to play in a place like that with such good teammates, good team, and um, in a community that I think appreciated it and, and showed great respect for the baseball team and the baseball players. Well, one more time, let's come back to your website. What's the website again and uh, and the Facebook to, to like you as well and follow? Well, the website is Global Health Makeover, one word. And then on Facebook, if you went to Dane Orge's Major League Products. And then you can read about, you know, 
ProArginine Plus and the other products that I market. And uh, like I like I say, Dave, I you know, it's in the physician's desk reference as the highest quality LL, L-arginine supplement in the world. And um, you know, it's 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 been recognized so often in so many continents that it's it's an incredible product that improves health and and when you improve your health you know that's really important you know being unhealthy and and having disease is tough and it makes life miserable and we all want to retain our health and stay strong and healthy and, and live a vibrant life and this you know it, to me it's the it's I just had a gentleman in here the other day, and he said nitric oxide is the fountain of youth, and our product creates nitric oxide once it's ingested. And like I said, it's Nobel Prize-winning science. It reverses and prevents cardiovascular disease, the number one killer of people in the United States and the world, and it's all proven scientifically, clinically. And so... Nobody can refute or doubt what it does because it's based on scientific fact, and it's all natural, has no harmful side effects, and and so that's you know that's really important because the prescription drugs that we take they all have side effects, they cause other things to happen, and even though many people take them and have to take them, if you can avoid that, I think that's best, and and this is a product that absolutely works. Very nice. Well, I will probably be in touch about that, too. My dad's 71 and has dealt with some of that, so that sounds like something I'd be interested in maybe for myself, too. But, you know, in addition to that, thanks, obviously, for your time. You've been very generous with your time, and, and obviously for that big, big uh, hit in Royals history and the times you, you know, the years you gave to the Royals organization and for being a, a good warrior in the game of baseball and one of the good guys. Thanks so much for everything, and, uh, and definitely stay in touch, and go Royals. I will. My pleasure, Dave. Thank you as well. Okay. Thanks so much. Take care. Mm-hmm. Okay, bye.